two six-year-olds struggled with the problem of the existence of the devil. And one boy said, oh, there isn't any devil. And the other, rather upset, said, well, what do you mean there isn't any devil? It talks about him all the way through the scriptures. And the first replied, oh, that's not true. You see, it's just like Santa Claus. The devil turns out to be your dad. Now, in recent years, the interest in the spirit world has increased and the increase of spiritualism and New Ageism and Eastern meditation with yoga practices are all considered fashionable in society and even publicized by prominent celebrities. Now, some perceive Christianity as being too old-fashioned and not exciting enough. And hence, we have strategic level spiritual warfare. This is the latest invention for bringing that which is of spiritual dimension to the animation of the church. So C. Peter Wagner suggests that his hypothesis that he is uh, presenting then is that Satan delegates are high-ranking members of a hierarchy of evil spirits to control nations, regions, cities, tribes, people groups, neighborhoods, and other significant social networks of human beings throughout the world. And their major assignment is to prevent God from being glorified in their territory, which they do through directing the activity of lower-ranking demons. Now, this group, this spiritual warfare group, is only a theory that assuming what the spiritual world is like and how it interacts with our everyday lives. It is a highly exciting and astounding taking on seriously the reality of a spiritual being and their interests in us. Now, this theory presents that there is a realm of evil spirit beings actively working to prevent people from coming to God. And they who hold to this view believe that most powerful demons are the territorial spirits, the high-level demons that control geographical areas and actually prevent evangelism from working in that specific area. So thus, for effective evangelism to go forward, the demons would first need to be identified by name and then broken or cast out through arduous prayer rituals, marching, prayer, and on specific symbolic sites, uh, etc. Now, on the personal level, uh, demons are held to be able to inha inhabit individuals called demonization, demon possession, is rejected by those authors as uh, mistranslations, they note. This can happen to Christians and non-Christians to be believed. It comes about through conscious invocation or past dealings with the occult influences. It also can happen inadvertently through an unrepentant sin or owning pagan jewelry or certain types of rock music. Well, these demons can also attach themselves to objects and ornaments, art and houses. To get rid of them, one needs to require deliverance and the deliverance ministry the, to identify and then bind and cast out these demons. Now, generally, the demons are believed to make people sin, sometimes in quite terrible or violent ways, or at least to fill the Christian's head with violent or blasphemous thoughts. Now, the Christian at that point is held that he is innocent and a victim to all this. Well, C. Peter Wagner also identifies a middle level, asserting that 
occult activities, tarot, uh, new age, crystals and such, as well as more obvious demonic activities such as Satan worship, invoking of real evil spirits who then have a level of control over the people involving in the activities. If such people are to become Christian, it takes more than just repentance. The demonic control over them must be broken. Now, this kind of occultic activity can also add to the power of the territorial demons over that area. Now, where does the basis for all this come from, from these groups? Where does it actually uh, derive from? Well, apart from less than satisfactory dealings with the Bible, some of the authors are quite happy to accept information from pagan and occultic practitioners as a basis for their views about the spiritual world, like C. Peter Wagner quotes, an ex-Satanist as a basis for estimating the number of evil spirits in the world. He also asserts that spiritual insight, which receives information directly from the spirit world, is not as exclusive faculty of those who have been born again. While he acknowledges the need for to test spiritual information, he is confident that some non-Christians, whether animists, uh, shamans, gurus, lamas, uh, philosophers, or whatever, uh, may be able to communicate to us some of this information about the reality of the spirit world in which they have gained considerable expertise. That's his take on it. Well, George Otis Jr. says that his research into spiritual warfare took him to shrines, temples, monasteries, sacred mountains, and ancestral graveyards. He has listened to the stories of the Tibet Buddhist lamas, na uh, natives of the American medicine man, leading theorists of the New Age movement. While this might be a useful part for a treatise on non-Christian beliefs, it does not provide sound like research program of any kind which is of a biblical Christian mandate or from a Christian perspective. See, this which, which is being demonstrated are uh, consulting darkness for truth. That is, those who are most steeped in the deception of the devil are taken as sources of reliable information about spiritual matters. Even worse, demons themselves are cited as reliable information. Most of these uh, authors use conversations with demons as a source for their information. How absurd is that? Although the authors also realize that the devil is the father of lies and are constantly calling for discernment, it is remarkable. They can advocate such information on the basis of developing right theology from that. We have long moved away from the biblical truths that by this stage, and we have gone into skepticism and mysticism. Now, if these groups is a, is a fallacy, then why are there innumerable testimonies that are happening out of it? Now, Paulson, a counselor and a lecturer in the theology at Westminster Theological Seminary, draws on his experience in counseling many people in a range of situations, including those affected by, uh, by spiritual warfare theology. Now, Paulson is able to answer one of the most troubling questions that spring to mind as one is reading spiritual warfare books or speaking to those who accept this theology. What do you do about these stories? There are innumerable antidotal experiences, often 
told about respectable and uh, responsible people about Christianity, supposedly inhabited by demons. And if you were not there yourself, how do you respond? Well, it is said that uh, as it's been there, the answers that Paulson mentions is that he witnessed a great deal of these sincere misdiagnosis. One of the problems he points out is that not that the Western Christians do not take the reality of demons seriously, as spiritual warfare proponents claim, but the spiritual warfare Christians does not take the reality of sin seriously. See, too often he has seen cases of a Christian struggling with sin who are told that their problem is caused by a demon. And it goes on uh, where they need deliverance and counseling rather than following biblical teachings that we need to do and to work seriously towards being uh, set apart and, and moving away from evil. Paulson demonstrates that this demonization of people with whom Jesus came into contact was completely different to the demonization diagnosed in the church today because Paulson also has, has an understanding of biblical theology. He is able to explain the differences between Jesus's ministry and our own. And he, as well as continues between the two, there is a great deal of misunderstanding about spiritual warfare in evangelical churches. And it is often difficult to discuss the topic without falling into suspicion. So spiritual warfare, it is all in the mind. Now, forgive me, I'm not trying to talk down about it. The battlefield of our spiritual warfare is in the human mind. See, the passages of Scripture which discuss our spiritual struggle against angelic adversaries shows that our battle is a mental one. It is the struggle to develop a right and mature understanding of God's Word and give way to an immature, unholy worldview which comes from an angelic enemy and our sinful nature. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, establishes that the deception of the human mind is the objective of our angelic adversaries and the state of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Now, we were saved in Jesus Christ. We were once just as those who do not believe, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Therefore, uh, while we were in the world and was a part of God, we were deceived by the evil, by the enemy, and partakers of the sinful nature, and men of carnal minds. And yet after we were, are saved in Christ, the enemy still seeks to lead us astray. So looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, But I fear, least any, by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the Greek word for mind is pneuma, which means a mental perception and evil purpose, that which takes the mind, thoughts and purposes. It occurs six times in the New Testament and is translated as mind and four times in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, device one time and thought one time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, least Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Tell us that we are not ignorant of Satan's mind. 
his plans, his intentions, and his strategy, Satan's strategy, is to deceive us, to blind us from God's will, to corrupt us from the saving knowledge of Christ. So spiritual warfare is a battle over our mind, as in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, which states that for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, God to God, casting down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, imaginations and reasonings. So the, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 tells us clearly that our struggle with our adversary is not a mental battle. It is over the thoughts and, and our imaginations. It is about knowledge. It requires us to align our thinking to Christ, uh, to God's will. It informs us that the weapons we utilize to accomplish this task are not some strange metaphysical instrument by which we subdue fallen angels, but which we use to subject our own thoughts to Jesus Christ. So these things to avoid in spiritual warfare. Not that we know that the battle is fought in our minds and that uh, the objective of the enemy is to deceive us. We are trying to avoid in spiritual warfare is remaining carnal, worldly and sinful in our thinking, in our minds. So note earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. And what about chapter 4, verse 17? All of us start out in this corrupt state of mind. It is the default setting of the mind, thinking of an unsaved person. So Romans chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And carnally, that meaning minding of the flesh, to be spiritually. Uh, the, the Greek minding of the spirit is because the carnal mind is at enmity to God, for it cannot subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So therefore, we see that we start out carnally minded, blinded by the devil. Moreover, after we are saved, our minds are still targeted by the enemy. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, Paul tells us that we must make our previously carnal and sinful minds and thoughts subject to God and obedience to Christ. The carnal mind is the product of the world and the enemy. It is an ungodly worldview or a world, worldly wisdom which Christians, we must still fight to avoid. So in Colossians, Chapter 2, verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of man, after the rudimentaries of the world, and not after Christ. Rudimentaries or elements to make a prey or to seduce you, to lead you astray. So the word translated in these passages as spoil is the Greek word which only occurs here in the passage. It means to carry off. A booty to carry one off as a captive or lead uh, away from the truth and subject that one uh, wants to sway. So what are we to avoid? 
well, the philosophies and wisdoms of men, which are devoid of truth, without any spiritual value, worldly and deceitful. Therefore, worldly wisdom is unprofitable. And it is that worldly wisdom which comes not from God. So in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is against angelic rulers. Not Now looking at Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, which is the flesh, blood, and, and spiritual wickedness, the spirits in heavenly places. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, informs us that these angelic rulers are the source of worldly wisdom, which we must get rid of and rid of selves of. So as in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, how about we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of any princes of this world that come to naught. The wisdom of these angelic rulers is contrasted with the wisdom of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. To the intent now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Take, for example, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 confirms this conclusion, which is for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, and this through God, to God casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing them into captivity, every thought into the obedience of Christ. These imaginations, these reasonings, the word used in this passage for casting down is the Greek word which in the context of thoughts and knowledge means to take down, to pull down, to demolish the subtle reasoning of the opponents or to refute to so the Greek word for high thing, which is used one time. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, which refers to, among other things, angels. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, no height, no depth, no any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hence, wicked angels in heavenly places seek to deceive mankind through worldly wisdom and blind us so that we uh, do not see the knowledge of Christ, do not be able to experience it. So how do we deal with the devil and the demons? Well, it's very simple. Studying the Word of God, learning, teaching, defending, and implementing. Are these the signs that we do to, for sound doctrine in dismissal of false doctrine? Is our principal act of spiritual warfare, the natural state of sinful man, is carnal, a carnal mind, or a sinful nature? So once we are saved, we are delivered from the carnal mind through Jesus Christ's atoning work. However, this deliverance from the carnal mind is not immediate, but a process. And as in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 states, uh, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove that what is good and acceptable and perfect, take note, 
will of God. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are not only to conform to the word and to be not conformed to the world, which includes living our lives according to the wisdom of the word, not of this world, and the rulers of this world we should avoid in order to not be conformed to this world, not walking according to the counsel of this world. We must renew our minds by making our thoughts and imaginations all in obedience to Christ. However, how do we renew our minds? How do we leave behind sinful mind and become Christ-like? And the answer is with the knowledge of God. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. We escape the pollution of this world through the knowledge of God. We cleanse ourselves from it. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, in or into the stature that age. That's the objective. So in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, we read, For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you need that one teach you, again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God that are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat, for that useth milk is unskinful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, unskilled, had no experience, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to be discerned both good and evil. So Paul provides similar instructions to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study and show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Now therefore, then, those who are mature in Christ are those who are well trained in God's word, who understand God's word, are skillful in examining and teaching it, and who can distinguish between good and evil. Discerned as sound and unsound doctrine is very important. Paul clearly states in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And from these passages, we can see that God expects Christians to progress from our unsafe carnality and carnal minds uh, and from babes into Christ to mature Christians who are able to skillfully teach the word, divide the word, the word of truth, and to distinguish sound doctrine from false doctrine. 
And how much of that we do today? So very little. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. Thus have you made the commandments of God of none effect by your traditions. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandment, commandments of men. Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. And then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark chapter 7, verse 7. Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of me. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Making the word of God to of none effect. You see, what I'm trying to show you is that the list of Bible verses above, as we've shared, the importance of gaining an understanding of God's will through his word. So we are not to remain in ignorance uh, by the contrast. We see that the New Testament indicates that it is God's will, that we are not left in ignorance or in error of the previous ways before we came to him, but that we come to the knowledge of the truth. Likewise, we see that this godly knowledge, wisdom, and understanding come from the word and are essential to safeguarding ourselves from the deception and the plans of the enemy. So in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God and I also forget thy children. It means to be cut off, to be destroyed. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, no man that warrant entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier, not getting involved in civilian pursuits. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which he is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world and through the world, knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and are overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word knowledge here, in, and also in second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, or 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 is the same word epinosis and it refers to the precise, the correct knowledge of God. It comes from that Greek word epinosko which means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly, to know accurately and to know well. 
So from this, we can see that this is the crucial part that God's people to pursue, to come through understanding of God's word. And that is to pursue is in an essential part of the spiritual warfare of every believer. So our defense, the New Testament, also instructs us regarding our minds that we should be sober, that is calm, collected, temperate, prudent. The word sober that appears in the passages below, as we've, uh, we're going to mention, is the word nipho, and or it means to be clear-headed, as in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. But let us, who are of sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet of hope of salvation. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13, Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you as a revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 4 verse 7. Let's have a look at that. But the end of all things is at hand. Be you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. First Peter 5 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And in conclusion, one of the favorite scriptures quoted by this group of advocates into spiritual level warfare is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18, regarding putting on the armor of God. So when the important points of this verse are considered in its context, as well as that of other scriptures, then we find that there is no mention of a war in which the believer must attack Satan and his demonic forces. The opposite is rather true. Our fight is a defensive one, not an offensive one. The definition and the distinction is made by the type of sword in verse 17. It is not a heavy sword used by the Roman soldiers when they attacked, but it is a short dagger type, a sword they used in defense and in close combat. After having put on the full armor, then the believer has to subject himself to God in what? In prayer, verse 18, so that he may be prepared to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Note that prayer is not part of the armor. Did you see that? Sin do not originate with demonic influence. Sin do not originate with demonic influences. But in the hearts and minds of man, God saw that the weakness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. So if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. John chapter 8, verse 36. So if we continue to seek release from the sins of the flesh through other means other than the cross of Jesus Christ, then we reject the completed work of Christ on the cross. That all that he had bore, all our sins is in his body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Christ's words, it is finished, were then spoken in vain, would it not be? So how do we deal with Satan and the demons today? Well, number one, through faith, 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. We must trust him and his finished work as the means of our salvation from Satan and the power of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. So by submitting our souls, will being to our Heavenly Father and trusting his promises as in Psalms 46 verse 1. James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. And number two is through the power of the word of God and by the power of the word. Revelations chapter 12 verse 11. So when Jesus was tempted by the devil. He rebuked him by what? Quoting scripture. So when we must be able to do the very same thing. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 111, uh, 119 verse 11. You can also see Psalms uh, 91 or Galatians chapter 6 verses 12 to 16. So this leads me to define that this group of spiritual warfare, strategic level spiritual warfare, is an immature group of Christians playing with toy swords against the devil and its demons.